Hello and welcome to Accounting Instruction Help and How To. In this lecture, we're going to talk about auditing and assurance services. At the end of this, we will be able to define what audits are, define what assurance services are, also define what they are not, uh, explain some common misconceptions with what audits are. We will be able to explain what the role of audits are, how they are useful for society, what they provide for us. So we're going to start off with the basic idea of the audit. And the audit's going to be in relation between two people. The audit usually helps to facilitate trust. So one of the main goals of the audit is to have trust. If we increase the trust and the transparency between a transaction, we could increase transactions and make transactions more readily available. That's going to be one of the purposes for an audit. For example, when we think about a company wanting to do business with an outside user, such as an investor, a bank, or a government, some outside user. If we're talking about the investors, we might be talking about individuals who are investing like their 401k plans into the company or something like that. Banks could be trying to get a loan. Or if we're talking about the government, of course, we're talking about income taxes. And the typical idea to start off with is the investor. If we're trying to invest money into a company, into the stock market, we need to get some assurance from the company about the performance so we can make a relevant decision on whether or not we want to invest. How do we do that? Well, we usually have the financial statements in order to help us do that. So the company can provide financial statements to investors in order to trade on a public stock exchange. And then the investors have the information on which they can make the transaction, both sides being better off from this transaction, both the company and the investor. However, in order to facilitate more transactions, we need to make sure that the financial statements are correct. The user of the financial statements needs to rely on the financial statements. So they that one, they need to know that the, the financial statements are right, that they haven't been uh, manipulated or put in, in there incorrectly. And they also want some kind of conformity because the investor is going to want some kind of standardization so that they can read the financial statements, compare the financial statements to some standard that they know about. So that's where the trust comes in with the audit oftentimes. So if we think about the company, trying to do business with the investor, and then you think about the third party, you can kind of think about a friend in a normal situation if two individuals are going to do business and they both trust the third party, they can talk to the third party and say, hey, do you trust the financial statements that I'm receiving from this other individual? So a similar, similar uh, situation here where we have the two parties, we have the third party who we don't particularly know. In fact, they want to be independent in this case. We're going to say this is an independent third party and that is why we're going to trust this third party because they're not uh, directly involved in either side of the transaction. Therefore, if we get their independent decision, that can lend more faith in terms of the accuracy of the financial statements. And if we can get more accuracy in the financial statements, we can have better trust, better transparency between the two parties to the, to the uh, negotiation. And that will facilitate hopefully more trade, which is generally a good thing. And just to point out that how good a thing that is, uh, it, it's worth a lot to have this type of trust within the market. So, for example, our stock market um, trades a lot of money. Obviously, we get a lot of money into the stock market. And it's not necessarily because we're positioned best in the world for the have the highest growth or the highest returns. Because the, company, the countries that are industrializing, you would think, would have better potential to have higher returns as they go through that industrializing process. But... The U.S. still pulls in a lot of money, and a lot of the reason for that money uh, coming to the U.S. is, is because of the, the stabilization, the idea that uh, we, we do have the trust within the system, that we do have kind of the transparency, we do have the regulatory 
regulations in order to have audits for publicly traded companies. And therefore, when we look at the, the statements, we can say, okay, I, I do have some faith in this. Now, people may balk at that because there are, have been scandals, of course, in corporate uh, scandals, and those are the things we usually see in the news. So we, there, there's been problems and there's been increased regulations, and this is on, an ongoing problem that we're always going to have. But again, the fact that we do have those regulations and the fact that we do have the required audits uh, does generate a lot of capital that comes into the, into the, the U.S. Now, of course, this benefit is costly too. Audits are very costly, especially for publicly traded companies. So the great, the increase in regulation uh, has the benefit of, of facilitating more trade and creating that trust. Also has a high cost because uh, having audits is, is going to be another hurdle that we have to go through in order to prepare the audits and go through the rules of those. So balancing those two things out, balancing the, the increase in benefit from the added level of trust, the added level of capital, uh, in transparency in the investments, versus the cost, of course, of the added regulations that would be required to do uh, in order to get that is a, is a constant struggle that we have within the audit profession. One misconception when we talk about what audits are, or at least something that's not an audit in this context, is that whenever someone hears audit, usually they think of tax returns. So many people, when they hear the word audit, they think of taxes. And that makes sense to a degree. A tax audit meaning the IRS looking at the tax return to see if something or questioning a position taken on the tax return is a form of review. It's a form of review process. But uh, even the IRS at this point has changed that terminology to an examination. So the IRS, when they uh, question a tax position, they are examining the, ta the tax position and questioning the tax position on that. Not necessarily an audit, the audit being something on the public accounting side that is issuing an opinion on the financial statements that are created by the company. So uh, in, in an audit or an assurance type of services, we're talking about the company creating something that being the responsibility of the company, oftentimes that being the financial statements. And then the CPA firm giving some kind of assurance service an, in the case of an audit, auditing the financial statements, which are the responsibility of the company, <laughs> and giving some kind of assurance as to the accuracy of those financial statements. The need for auditing and examination, just accounting in general, has increased substantially over the last 200 years or so with the increase in the Industrial Revolution, clearly increasing the need for more audits and more engagement. When we had the creation of corporations itself, that will increase a lot of complexity, and the creation of the corporation meant that it also increased business in general. When we then had the stock exchange, the stock exchange then puts in a lot more complexity, puts a lot more capital into the market, and also has a lot more risk. The stock exchange being something that was very volatile and uh, could have very high ups and downs, some regulations in terms of the information being provided to people so that there's equal information on both sides of the transaction became something that was, of course, important. Later on, we have continuing issues, of course, Sarbanes-Oxley. We had uh, Enron resulting in uh, Sarbanes-Oxley and more types of regulations as things get more complex going forward. We're always going to have to balance that, that idea between regulations and uh, the cost of those regulations when we're thinking about the pros and cons of the auditing process. Now, just to drill down that on that a bit, when we think about a company it's good to just get that idea of what we're talking about with the company. The company being a publicly traded company or a C corporation being something that's going to be separate from the owners. So we have the managers, 
managing the company being separate from the owners being the shareholders so if we are investing into the stock market as shareholders if we have some shares in our 401k plan then we are the owners in terms of the shareholders the owners in aggregate are are hiring management putting management in there management then is acting as the agent for the owners the stockholders it's in a similar way we can think of it similar to if we were if we were a u.s citizen or a citizen in a democracy and they are owning the the country then they hire representatives to represent them in congress which would be the politicians politicians therefore should be acting as agents for the people that elected them same kind of concept here the stockholders have managers the managers should be acting as agents for the best practice for the best thing for the owners being the stockholders now we do have this agency problem we can see that this this disconnect this uh, separation of the owners from the actual practice of the business can cause an agency problem because of course the agents have their own kind of <laughs> needs too and their own wants and desires that may not be in alignment with the stockholders and that's one of the things that that an audit can help with it can help align those with having that third party in there to give some assurance that the the managers are there in order to run the business create the financial statements and then the auditors can give some type of of assurance to the accuracy of the financial statements that are being reported for the people that are investing the actual owners of the company the stockholders now when we think about the types of assurances that we try to provide we can break these up into a few different categories and we'll drill down on these more at a later time but we do think that we want to provide some assurance about the balance accounts as of a certain point in time so the the accounts do they exist we're talking about the balance sheet as of a point in time we've got assets liabilities and equity so we could think about the idea do these accounts exist are the amounts being reported actually existing now when we think about these types of ideas we're usually more concerned with a company trying to overstate their assets trying to look better basically we're more concerned with them trying to overstate their assets and understate their liabilities rather than the other way around that's where we're, we're going to focus in on now when you think about the taxes it's usually the reverse obviously for taxes companies have an incentive to look worse in order to lower their taxes but mo mainly we're thinking of audits in terms of someone like the stockholder and if the stockholders who we have in mind we want to protect them against the overstatement of the financial statements that would trigger the uh, reaction to those depending on those financial statements than investing when they should would not have otherwise done so so for that reason we're more concerned with a company overstating assets and understating the liabilities so when we think about existence in terms of the balance sheet account we're probably thinking about more are, do the assets actually exist there are the assets that are being reported actually something that that exists rights and obligations so when we're looking at the assets are those assets um do they have rights to those assets are they actually owned or are they leased now we could also drill down on actual transactions we can drill down and look at actual transactions and, and we're looking for similar types of questions when we want to see the did the transaction uh, actually occur are these transactions did they actually happen or is something reported that didn't actually happen are the transactions that are being reported are they complete uh, did they have authorization uh, are they accurate uh, a big one's going to be the cutoff dates so many types all, all types of audits are going to do some kind of cutoff testing cutoff testing is basically the idea that if someone's trying to look better if we were trying to make the financial statements look better 
we might try to pull in revenue from next period into this period or try to push out expenses from this period into next period. So we want to make sure that uh, the revenue and the expenses are reported in the proper period. And there could be assurances about presentation. So basically, is everything disclosed that should have been disclosed? So if there's any information that's going to be relevant to decision making, we basically want that information to be reported in some way. So for example, if there's like a lawsuit or something that's going to happen out in the future, and it hasn't happened yet, we're not, we're not totally sure that it's, going to, that it's going to take place. But if there's a significant risk, then it might be something that we should have disclosed on that because it could have a material impact on the decision making. Now we've been focusing mainly on audits here, but note that audits is, are, are kind of in the category of assurance services. So when you think about public accounting firms, when you think about CPA firms, we can think about assurance services being like the wide circle, the big circle encompassing everything. Attestation engagements are going to be within that circle. And then one form of attestation engagement is the audit. So an audit is one form of the bigger circle of attestation engagements, which is in turn in part of the bigger circle of assurance services. Now the broad circle, the assurance services, just means that an independent professional service that improved the quality of information or its context for decision makers. That's going to be the broad category in terms of the broad assurance services. In terms of the attest engagements, those are going to be the things where we're actually given an opinion, usually a report. So we usually think of an audit as a form of a test engagement, but we could have different types of a test engagements. For example, reviews are another common type of a test engagement. The difference between the two is the level of assurance that we're going to have between those two. So an audit is going to be something where we're going to give a higher, our highest degree of assurance services, and we're never going to give complete assurance. Remember what we're doing, we're saying that we're going to report on the accuracy of the financial statements that is the responsibility of management and gives some degree of assurance never complete assurance if we are talking about a review then we're going to be reviewing with less assurance and a review would be something that we probably can do more from the office meaning we can do more analytical type of analysis ratio analysis and this type of thing to analyze the accuracy of the financial statement an audit is something where we're going to go out to the engagement and do a lot more digging into an audit and have a more in-depth uh, gathering of information in order to support our opinion. Now we could also give an opinion on other things. We could give an opinion just on internal controls. We could give a, an opinion on whether something is in compliance with a certain set of regulations and other types of engagements as well. Now when we think about the full audit engagements, it's a good idea to think about what's the responsibility of management, what's the responsibility of the auditor. It's good to put this in terms. We're often going to, we're going to have an engagement letter. Or we should have an engagement letter defining what these terms are. Uh, what is management? Just an overview of their responsibilities. They're, they're the ones that are going to be running, creating the financial statements. They want to be implementing the internal controls, coming up with the internal controls, implementing the internal controls, monitoring the internal controls. They're going to accumulate the data, create the financial statements from the data, and then they're going to issue the financial statements. As an auditor, uh, we're going to basically, we want to get that engagement letter, and then we're going to spend a lot more time, especially in larger aud audits, uh, investigating the process, investigating the internal controls. We want to see that internal controls have been set up well. We want to see that they're being followed, that the internal controls, we don't just have a good plan, but the plan is actually being implemented and seeing that the process is, uh, is going as it should. And we're emphasizing more on the internal controls than basically other types of substantive testing because as, the, as audits get large, especially if you're talking publicly traded audits, 
it's very difficult. It's impossible at this time. It would take too much time and money to drill down on all the accounts and look at enough transactions to get the level of assurance that would be needed for an audit engagement. Therefore, many of the new regulations we look at and many of the new techniques that we're going to have will focus more on the process. If we can get the focus on the process right, then we can make a higher level of assurance that the financial statements are being reported correctly. So we want to spend our time there rather than drilling down uh, on the financial statements with substantive testing. So that's going to be our focus. We're going to obtain evidence to do that. We're going to test management's assertions against the criteria. Now, obviously, when we think about audits, we have, to, we have to assess this against the criteria. We're given an opinion that something is in alignment <laughs> with some kind of criteria. Usually, that criteria is going to be gap, generally accepted accounting principles. Uh, note that if we're talking about some other kind of, if we're talking about a review or some other type of engagement, that type of criteria may be something else. We might, if we were trying to get a bank loan and the bank said that, uh, that the company needed a review and they said that they can get a review in alignment with um, a tax policy, so the financial statements are in accordance with, with the tax code reporting or in accordance with a cash basis. Those are, those are things that could happen, but just make sure, obviously, we are testing to see that something is in alignment with a set of rules, those rules usually being generally accepted accounting principles. And then we're going to determine the overall fairness of the financial statements and finally issue a report on them uh, with some type of assurance opinion. A couple concepts that will come up often within the discussion of auditing, that's going to be audit risk materiality and evidence. The idea of audit risk is the idea that an auditor has the risk of giving an incorrect opinion, meaning they give an opinion favorable when they, there's actually a material misstatement within the financial statements. So there's always going to be some audit risk, an audit risk being that we gave the wrong opinion, there's always going to be that in there. So when we, when we actually uh, report the opinion to a standard audit report, we have the statement of reasonable assurance. We're providing reasonable assurance. We're never, we're never going to say we gave complete assurance, but the audit is the highest level of assurance we have. The audit, the examination, that's the highest level of assurance that we can provide. A review or something would have less uh, assurance provided on that. And the, when we measure how much testing we're going to do, we're going to measure it against the level of audit risk and try to get, try to reduce, of course, the level of audit risk. The idea of materiality is the idea that something is material if it would have an impact to decision makers. So if something is material, then we want to make sure that we take a look at it. If the, if the financial statements are materially misstated, we're basically saying the financial statements have a, an error in them that is large enough to affect people's decision making on it. Now that materiality factor will be higher or lower and we, we could assign a dollar amount to it and many types of testing for it and it could be pretty high when we, when we think about uh, large companies uh, because we're looking at the dollar amount in relation to the total, total dollar amount but that materiality factor will be very important. Now as we conduct the audit we're going to gather audit evidence to back up management's assertions that audit evidence is going to include the financial statement and the data that we get. It's also going to include any other information we can get from inside the company as well as information from outside the company. And oftentimes we're going to rely on the information from outside the company a bit more than internal information just because it's from a third party, uh, such as a bank statement or something that comes directly from the bank. But the idea is that we need to gather that evidence in order to back up the assertions of management. 
Now, as we move forward through the testing, a concept of sampling will become very important. So the idea of sampling being that we're going to take statistical samples of certain items, certain transactions, and look for the evidence in that way. So we can't test every transaction that happens. We can set some statistical type of sampling methods, and we'll go through different types of sampling methods in order to prove our assertions as we go. Now the basic phases of the audits are going to be that we're going to first negotiate the audit. We're going to have a, a negotiation agreement for an audit, either a continuing audit that we have from prior years that we do yearly or a new uh, audit with the client. We want to have a pre preliminary engagement activities. Then we're going to plan the audit. We're going to decide how long it's going to take and what type of, of activities need to be within the plan. Consider and audit internal controls. So we're going to audit the processes, these internal controls, and that will help us to assess how much other auditing we need to do, how much testing we do need to do. Audit business processes and related activities, and then we're going to complete the audit and evaluate results and issue the report. Now audit reports are usually going to be fairly standardized. The title line of the audit report is going to have the word independent in there. The idea of independence being very important within the audit, we want to make sure that we are uh, an independent third party. The audit report includes an introductory paragraph, a scope paragraph, and an opinion paragraph. If the audit does not reveal any material misstatement that was gathered through the evidence through the audit process, the highest level opinion that can be given in the audit report is the unqualified opinion. So an unqualified opinion state is basically saying that the audit report uh, appears to be free of material misstatement based on the audit evidence that has been gathered through the audit process. So qualified opinion, on the other hand, would mean that there has been something that has been found that we believe could have a material impact on the financial statements and then we'll probably list out what that thing is and we could say that basically everything else is looking like it's in accordance based on the evidence that we have gathered with the exception of this qualified uh, piece. Now obviously the goal here we're hoping that we're able to issue the unqualified opinion based on the evidence that we have. If we have to issue the qualification for something that has been uh, not in compliance with generally accepted accounting principles in this case, then we'll issue the qualification and list what that is. If the financial statements do not look like they're fairly stated, then we'd have to issue an adverse opinion. And an adverse opinion could end the engagement, of course, because the company is looking not for an adverse opinion. But if the financial statements are not in compliance uh, with the generally accepted accounting principles or whatever rules or set of rules that we are comparing them to, then we'd be required to, to issue the adverse opinion.